This morning is, uh, is, of course, Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, and I haven't made this any secret, I've said it for a number of weeks uh, lately, is my, my favourite Sunday. I love Resurrection Sunday. I, I wake up with anticipation. Uh, I enjoy preaching and, and hearing the singing and, and just I love Resurrection Sunday. And I love it for a, for a few reasons. I mean, sure, every Sunday is, is Resurrection Sunday in one way or another because that's why we, we come on Sunday is because of the resurrection of Christ. But through most of the Sundays each year, we, we talk about various implications of the resurrection. So we talk about what it is to live for Christ and to know the meaning of salvation. And, and so we, we talk for much of it kind of around the resurrection, Whereas on Resurrection Sunday, we are, we're, we're driven to think directly about it and what it means and it fills our mind and it fills our focus and, and it fuels everything else we do on every other Sunday. One of the other reasons that uh, I love Resurrection Sunday is perhaps far more personal than that. You know, in the years uh, as being a pastor, I have led more funeral services than I have marriages. Uh, and I think about those, those people often who I've had the, the privilege to be able to share in their, their funerals. One of those ones was my own son, Hudson. And so at this time of year, the Resurrection Sunday is, is not, just, it's not just a theory, it's not just an idea. It is the, the essence, it is the center of my hope. Resurrection Sunday reminds me that one day I'm going to stand with my son again and I'm going to sing praises to Jesus Christ. I'm going to see those loved ones that I helped bury and, the, the, and stand with the, the many of you who have lost loved ones uh, long for that day. Resurrection Sunday is the reminder, it is the filling us with hope that every other Sunday is the reminder that Jesus is coming and when he comes, I will rise. And I will be with those that I love. And we will worship the Lord together in fullness of joy. This week, perhaps many of you have, have seen the emails or the posts and the things that I put out this week uh, about some of the, the readings, the Bible readings and the songs and the, the various activities about the death of Christ and, and the gospel through this week. And I hope you haven't been overwhelmed by my spam. We'll get back to regular scheduled nothingness from next week. Uh, but there's a, there's a reason that I, I planned all that and, and sent that all out because we life can be so, so full and so distracting sometimes. And here is we have these moments where we can take uh, a two-minute clip or a few minutes to read something and remind us it, it helps us to, to see the gospel more clearly, to remember it in perhaps different ways and to be able to share it in ways that are different and exciting for us that remind us of what it is about. We would be reminded of the power of the gospel as we think about what it is through this week. The gospel is powerful. It is the power of God in our lives. It is the power of God to change our lives, to make what was once broken and ruined whole again. As some of the, the videos I've sent out calls it, to make all that was sad become untrue, to make it beautiful and glorious again. 
The gospel that we preach, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That, that thought, that truth, that wonderful reality is what, it shapes everything that we are. It shapes our society. And as much as we try and, and change the way we talk about dates and we change the way that we refer to history, it all ends up still revolving around Christ and still revolving around the gospel. We cannot overestimate the significance of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, every year, Easter comes around, resurrection comes around. So I've preached a few Easter sermons in my time. And most of the time, we focus on the eternal results of that and the, the effects that it has in our life. This morning, we're going to read here from Luke 24. As we read from Luke 24, I want to see not just how, how the resurrection changes everything, but I want to look and see how it affected the lives of those that were there that day. And see if we can learn a few lessons of faith as we watch how they reacted and, and what happened to them when they found that tomb empty. Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulchre bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto, unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulchre, and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the, Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to celebrate and to be reminded of the, the glorious truth of your resurrection, its implications which which reach every single part of our life. Help us today to not only be reminded, but to be encouraged, to be filled with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, as we look here at this account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want us to look at the effects it had on those that were there that day and, and try and glean a few thoughts from that that we can learn for our own lives as we live in light of the resurrection the first thing i want us to to consider or think about is what came on them the shadows of uncertainty the shadows of uncertainty that filled their minds on that day as jesus christ rose from the dead i love how the gospel writers each of them all four of them describe that sunday morning 
They each describe it just a little bit differently when the women go there in the morning. Matthew describes it as, as the day began to dawn. In, in Mark, it says as the, the sun was rising. Of course, Luke uh, or John we saw earlier, he says, while it was still dark. I love that because each of them, some of them describe it as being light and some of them describe it as being dark. But it's that, that magnificent time of the morning, isn't it? When you, you get up early and the, the sun just rises and it's, it's sitting on the horizon and it's not really light yet, but it's not dark. It's that, that beautiful time of morning. But I think, as I think of that and think this, this wonderful time of morning, it sort of describes, I think, what the, the disciples were feeling at that time. You know, it's not quite light. Hope hasn't really risen, but it's, it's not dark. They still have hope, and they're not completely consumed by the sadness and the darkness of of all that goes on there in this in-between stage in their life where it's, it's, it's beginning to dawn. The, the truth is beginning to rise, but it's not there just yet. That unusual time of mourning. The women who are on their way to the tomb that morning, a, a group of them, you know, they, they have gone, they know what they're going to do. They've planned it out and they, they are, pretty much know what to expect. At least they think they know what to expect that morning and what they're going to do. They're going to go to the tomb of Jesus. They're going to, to uh, open it and they're going to prepare the body of Jesus as they, they ought for, for burial and plan to embalm him properly. They even, as they went, Mark tells us that they were even discussing how are we going to get the stone away? Right, so they're, they're thinking practically. They're thinking, well, we know what we need to do. We know we need to get the stone away. We know we need to prepare the body. So they're, they're thinking. They have some idea, at least they think, of what to expect. They still love Jesus. They still have a great desire for him. They still believe him. But they're struggling because everything he said seems to be untrue at this moment. Everything for them is about to change. You know, we live so much of our life based on sight, based on expectation. It was these women went to the tomb. They had expectation of what to, to see, what they would experience. And so much of our life is lived by walking by sight. We believe God, but mostly we live life expecting the usual. That today is going to be what it will be and and the trials we're going through, well, we'll make it through. And we live life, we believe God, but we have some idea of what we think we can expect. In the darkness, so in those days between when Christ dies and when he resurrects and that, that time of, of darkness, their faith is being tested. They're being through, put through a time that is going to test their faith. And as their faith is tested, while the faith is being tested, they're being deepened in their faith. But they don't realize it. They don't realize that in that time, in that time of uncertainty and, and unusual experiences, that God is doing something deep. Light would come, but the light would come at the right time. And they would understand what was before them. His death wasn't normal. So why would we expect his burial to be normal? But they go there expecting. They're confused by God's work even. 
what they find when they get to the tomb is not what they expected. They expected to get there to probably see the stone still in front of the tomb that they would need to move away. But when they get there, the stone is rolled away. Now, on one hand, that's peculiar, but it's not astonishing. You know, there could be a, a whole bunch of reasons why the stone was rolled away. Maybe the Romans had decided there was a reason they needed to open it. Maybe Joseph had been to his tomb earlier that morning and arranged for the stone to be rolled away so that the women could have access. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's peculiar and, and certainly unexpected, but not astonishing. What's astonishing is when they look inside the tomb with the stone open and Jesus isn't there. That's the astonishing bit. God had been working in the darkness. God had been working in the midst of their confusion in ways that they couldn't see and in ways that they could not comprehend. God was doing something beyond their understanding. They left the tomb filled with uncertainty, deeply struggling. At this point, as they go to that morning to embalm Christ, things, their, their faith, their life seem to be bad. And then they get to the tomb and everything that seemed to be going wrong seems to be worse. Jesus, who we'd given our life for, who we had worshipped, who we believed was God, is dead. And now he's not here? It just seems to be getting worse for them. Or so it seemed. God's work in our life, from the moment of our salvation onwards, all the way through our life, sometimes does not make sense. We look at our life and, and it, it doesn't make sense. It's not what we expected. We think, why, why did God do this? How could this be the plan of God? And that's how the, the people that morning felt. If, if it was God's plan, how could it be God's plan to have the Savior die and then disappear? It didn't seem to make sense, and so much of our life is lived in that, that sense of God, God says he's at work, but it just doesn't seem to make sense. Often we feel more confused and more troubled in the work of God in those shadows of uncertainty. Then the shining light of the angels begins to make things clearer. The angels appear and explain to them, and so... As they have walked that morning, the darkness is lifting, but it's not gone. That twilighty morning dawn, isn't it? The darkness is lifting, but it's not gone. One of the things we know is that sometimes the day dawns slowly. Verse 9 of our text, it says, and they returned from the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, and that's James the Less, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he, beholding the linen clothes, laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself, at that which was come to pass. Faith, faith must grow. That's part of what faith is. It, it must grow. 
So when the women go there and they, they see the empty tomb and they hear the message of the, the, the angels there saying what had happened to Jesus, they go and they, they go to tell the apostles and, and the others that are gathered with them that morning. Because if anyone was going to understand what they're going through, it would be the apostles, right? You would think if anyone was going to understand, if anyone was going to be able to comfort, if anyone was going to be able to give us some guidance and listen to what we have to say, it's going to be the apostles because they are the closest to Jesus. They knew him so well. They, they, you would expect that they could find comfort and encouragement from them. Yet we're told here when the women go to the apostles and to the others and they tell them the story, they don't believe them. They don't believe what the women have to say. Some say that the reason the apostles and the others don't believe them is because they're women. The culture at that time didn't look uh, highly on the testimony of women for anything, really. But I don't believe that that's true. Because that's not the culture that Jesus created amongst his disciples. Jesus never created a culture where women were less. In fact, in their culture and even in their group, you can see it particularly through the Gospel of Luke, how greatly Jesus lifted up women and encouraged them in their faith. There was a, a group there, these, these apostles who, who knew these women, some of them were related to them. These were women that they had worshipped with, that they had grown in their faith together with. So these weren't just strange women. They go, we don't, we don't know who you are. These were women they knew. So I don't think it's because their testimony was from women that they didn't believe. I think the apostles didn't believe that morning and the others didn't believe that morning because their faith was weak. This was not what they had expected. They were not expecting to find an empty tomb that morning. They didn't know what to expect. They were confused. They were saddened. They believed Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had heard Jesus. You know, these, these apostles who don't believe here had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. With their very own eyes, they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. But this was different. When they'd watched Jesus raise people from the dead, it was it was somebody else. It was, it was outside of them. It was another family. It was somebody close like Lazarus, but it wasn't them. But now this was about their faith. This was about what they believed about Jesus. Their faith needed to be strengthened. And sometimes faith grows slowly. Sometimes it grows slowly. We're told here in, in the passage we just read, verse 12 there, that out of all the people that were gathered... Only Peter and only John run to the tomb. And they run. Because they want to see what is going on and, and what's happening here. Maybe they, they run in a hope, thinking, well, we don't, we don't really believe him, but, but maybe, maybe, let's check. Maybe they run in suspicion. Somebody's taken him. Maybe the gardeners hit him, or, or, or maybe the Romans have, have taken him because they didn't want this to get out, or maybe the Jews have stolen. So maybe they run in suspicion. Somebody's stolen the body. But when Peter and John get there, John stops outside the tomb and he looks in. But Peter runs and he goes into the tomb and he looks around. We're told in John 20, the passage we read earlier today, that when, 
When John gets to the tomb and he runs and he stops outside and he looks in the tomb, it says he believed. For John, that was enough. For John, all he had to do was get there and see the tomb was empty. And that was enough to believe that Jesus was who he said he was and to strengthen his faith. He sees and he believes Jesus is risen. And, and maybe it's because John's, John's path to this moment was so different. John was the only one of the apostles who stood at the cross that day he was crucified. John saw what happened. Jesus spoke to him from the cross and gave him work to do. So maybe the difference for John is because his path to this moment was different than the others. But he comes there and all he needed to do to believe, we're told, is to see. But what is interesting is while it tells us in the Gospels that John believed when he saw the empty tomb, in the Gospels there is no declaration of Peter's belief. There is no declaration in any of the Gospel accounts that at the empty tomb Peter believed now, I don't think that's, that silence means that Peter didn't believe. I don't think it means that he had no faith. I don't think it's what it says at all. Because Luke tells us here that he gets it and he leaves, and it says that he, he marveled or he wondered. That is, he got in and he looked around, and he saw Jesus wasn't there, and everything is neatly laid out. And he didn't just leave there with a hardness of heart. He took that and says, something's going on here. Something's happening, and he is stirred, and he is in awe, and he is amazed. We know that after the death of Christ and before the ascension of Christ, Peter struggles. He has a hard time in those days after the death of Christ and before he, he leaves. At one point, Peter has given it all up and says, not that he doesn't believe Christ, but he's not going to give his life to Christ. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to be a fisherman again. Those days are very difficult for Peter. When the dawn breaks in our faith, it doesn't mean that hope always rises immediately. That as God works and we begin to see the work of God, that our faith is going to immediately rise with it and our hope and our faith is going to be strong because the dawn is rising. For some, like John, maybe it is. Maybe that's all we need. We see just that moment. We just need that glimmer of hope. And that's it. That's all we need to believe. But then there's so many of us that are like Peter. Where we need time. And God needs to work a little bit more. Consider the different path that Peter takes to this moment. You imagine what, what Peter has to deal with from the last few days. So just in the last few days, before the, the cross, the days before the cross and after the cross, Peter has been rebuked by Jesus. Peter has been humiliated in a moment where Jesus washes his feet. Peter has sat at the table with Christ and been told, one of you is going to betray me, and in his mind, he has to ask, is it me? While they're in the garden that night, Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus and watches Jesus put it back on. 
She's done in, in rage and a moment. And then, of course, the pinnacle of all of that. He denies Christ three times while Jesus is on the cross. Those are all things which have happened just in the last days, some of them within the last hours before Christ died. So can you imagine the questions that arise in his mind? Can you imagine what's going on in his heart as he thinks, if Christ is risen, what does that mean for me? I denied him three times. This is going to make for a very awkward conversation with Jesus if he is alive. Peter has a lot to deal with. He has a lot to wrestle through and to think through. He still does not understand how the resurrection of Jesus is going to fix all of that and make it all right. Jesus is going to need to build him up, going to need to teach him that the resurrection is the power that he needs, is what will indeed fix all of those things. Peter would grasp the truth, and he would grasp it powerfully. But it would take time. It would take time as God worked in his heart and drew him. For some, belief of Jesus as Savior will come quickly, like John. The light comes, and we quickly embrace it. For others, it will take time to think through, to see what God is doing, to understand the truth. And for many of us in trials, when the light breaks into our darkness, we believe. That moment we get the glimmer of hope of what God is doing in our life, we believe and our faith is strong. And for others of us, it will take time to learn, to grow in the shadows of uncertainty. But then there is the dawning of hope. The dawning of hope. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. The resurrection tells us that the Father was satisfied. Jesus is risen. He is risen. Is there not a more wonderful statement than the one the angels make? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? As if of course he's not here. Of course he's not here. He's alive. He shouldn't be here. These words echo through eternity. This, this isn't like when Jesus raised others from the dead. This isn't like the, the, the widow of Nain's son that Jesus resurrected. This, this isn't like Jairus' daughter which Jesus resurrected. This isn't even like Lazarus who Jesus resurrected, because all of them died again. This is entirely different. Jesus conquered death forever. He is risen. You know, when the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It means he is alive. He is alive forevermore. 
He is not dead. He has defeated death. He has conquered death forever. You know what that means? That means the darkness on the cross, that three hours of darkness, that whole period even of pain and torment that he went through, all of that was worth it. It was worth it. Sin had been paid for. The wrath of God had been satisfied. John tells us in his epistle, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means satisfaction or appeasement. This is the wrath of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God was satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice. This is what was prophesied. This is what we looked at last week in Isaiah 53. The resurrection is proof that nothing more needs to be done for salvation. Nothing. God does not need your works. God does not need anything you have to offer because Jesus is not in the grave. He rose and God did it himself. And he will save you himself. The resurrection tells us nothing more needs to be done. He lives so that we can live. By his stripes, we are healed. His death paid the price and it made peace with God possible. Paul writes in Colossians 1, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. This is why Jesus died. This is why Paul can write in Romans, God showed his love to us while we were still sinners. It's why Jesus can tell us in the Gospel of John that by lifting himself up onto the cross, he would draw people to himself. It's why in 1 John, John can write, he takes away our sin. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. This is the real light. This is the power of life. But how does that happen? How does it go from women who come to the tomb and and are completely confused by what they see because it's not what they expect? And, And how do these disciples who don't believe at first come to believe well listen to what they're instructed to do what moves them to this moment verse 8 it says and they remembered his words remember his words they will encourage you the women and the apostles were not meant to just believe what they saw Right, so it wasn't a matter of, of them just going to an empty tomb, seeing that Jesus wasn't there, seeing these what appear to be angels and go, well, we've seen it, we've had the experience, it must be true. They were not told to base their faith, they were not told to base their hope on what they had seen. They were told what you have seen is true, remember what you were told. Remember his word. Let that be what encourages you. 
The angels tell him that in verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake these words unto you? As they remember what Jesus says, it begins to make sense. Jesus had told them about this. Several times through his life, he had told them about this. In Luke 9 and verse 22, Jesus says, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Well, you can't get much more specific than that, can you, about what's going to happen. Then again, later, just not long before all this takes place, in Luke 18, the end of Luke 18, in verse 31, Jesus again reminds them here, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Verse 34, And they understood none of these things. Again, Jesus is very specific here, but it doesn't make sense to them. It's hidden from them. In fact, it says in verse 45. Sometimes we come to the word of God, we hear the gospel, we hear what God has to say, and we, we hear it, we learn the truth, and we know what the truth is. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't even perhaps seem to be relevant. At least at the time, we don't fully comprehend. But later, when we find ourselves in different circumstances, Perhaps we've grown a little bit more. We've gone through some different things. Then those things which we read and we heard before, which didn't make sense, begin to make sense. Have you ever had those moments? You read the word of God and you think, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. I don't see how that's possible. And then later, maybe years later, you come back to it and say, I get it now. I get it now. That's how the disciples were. Jesus tells them these things. He is preparing them, but they don't get it because it doesn't make sense in that moment. In fact, John tells us in, in John chapter 12, he says, these things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. This, it didn't make sense before, but then after they look back, they remember what he said and they go, of course. It makes sense now. The words of God will encourage you. They will inspire you. What do the women do when they hear this? They run and they tell. The angels tell them, remember what Jesus said. He said he would rise again. So tell them his words came true. And they do. They follow these instructions and they tell him, you remember what Jesus told us? He told us he would rise again. Jesus has risen again. He is not there. This isn't just truth to know, but truth to share. The purpose for their day then changed completely, didn't it? When they began that day, when they walked out that morning in the, the lighty darkness of that dawn, they were going to embalm a dead man. And now, just a few minutes later, their day is entirely different. Now, it's not about a dead man. It's about proclaiming a living God. 
how different things change and how quickly. The resurrection is proof that you can be saved from your sin. If the father wasn't satisfied with what Jesus had done, Jesus would still be dead. The resurrection is the power of our faith. It's the glory of our faith. It's a reminder that God is working in the darkness, in the times of confusion, in the times of uncertainty, in our sin. It's a promise that the shadows of uncertainty will give way to the brightness of hope. When you walk through dark times, remember his words. Remember his words. Maybe they didn't seem relevant at the time. You think, well, they didn't make sense then. Why is it going to make sense now? Remember his words. They will meet your need. His words will encourage your heart. They will strengthen your faith and they will inspire you to action. The resurrection isn't about hope in dark times. But it is the reason we have hope in dark times. If you have never believed Jesus as your savior, you need to know that Jesus died on the cross. That's what Good Friday is all about, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt for your sins. To die for a debt that you could not pay and to do it on your behalf. He paid your debt and three days later he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. Maybe it makes sense to you now. Maybe you've heard this message a thousand times. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe somebody has shared it with you before and it didn't make sense. But maybe this morning it's beginning to make sense that I get it now. If that's you, believe Jesus. Seek his forgiveness and ask him now, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me and I will follow you. Maybe... You're still not sure. You've heard why Jesus died. You've heard why he rose again. And it's still not making sense. It's still not quite there for you. Well, let's talk about it. Let's, let's help you find it. Let's lead you to places where you can hear the words of God and find your salvation in him. Believer, Today is the great day of our hope. It is the most wonderful day of all the year. Today, we celebrate a living Savior. A living Savior who right now is working for us in the light and in the dark. And one day is coming to finish everything he began. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for the glorious opportunity we have to celebrate the resurrection, to, to see its depths and its glory and its wonder, to be filled with joy and to be filled with hope. And we pray now, dear God, as we, as we walk through this life, some of us are walking our way through the shadows of uncertainty. Lord, shine the light of hope and help us to understand. Help us to be strengthened and encouraged. Fill us with confidence as we remember your words. And dear God, if there is one of your children here this morning that has yet to accept you as their saviour, may this be the day that they open their eyes and find that reality, find that truth, that you are their salvation. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus, our glorious and risen saviour.